Uh, if you turn to Galatians chapter 5, again I will do a little bit of lengthy reading today, and then I will do explaining to the best of my ability. For some people this might be a brand new text, you might have never heard it before, you might have never read it. And for others it might be an old text, you might learn some new things. We will start in Galatians chapter 1, I will read verse 1, then I will go to verse 6, and I would read all the way through chapter 6, verse 3. Follow along with me the best you can, because most of what I will speak today will concern just about every verse of Scripture. And as my wife said, we will be here for a while. I will give you the condensed version. Uh, let's read God's Word. Verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, that means be Jewish, or non-circumcision, that means a non-Jew, counts for anything. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him. That means God who calls you to salvation. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you with their false teaching would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, and this will be our text tonight, these three verses. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law of Moses is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16. But I, Paul, say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Holy Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, that means hatred, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, 
provoking one another, envying one another. Chapter 6, first three verses. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear with one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, like always, for your word, Lord God, that's always guiding the Christian into the path of Jesus Christ. And for those who might not know Jesus, God, we pray that you open up their eyes and open up their hearts to understand the scriptures today, Father God. Breathe upon this text, Father God, as we go through it. Holy Spirit, come and bring animation to this text and to this sermon. Make it alive in our hearts today that we can truly be people that are led by the Spirit and not by the lower nature of the fleshly desires, Father God, who are conceited, who are puffed up, who are proud, and who are jealous, who are envious, who are angry. Father God, come and help us, Father, to be humble as your Son is humble. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's an obvious couple of verses of scriptures in there nobody wants to be identified with. Nobody really wants to be identified with verses 19 and 20. Uh, I ask you what side of the page do you want to be noticed on? Do you want to be people who are recognized as people who live in idolatry and sorcery and immorality and purity and sensuality and enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger and rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like that? Or do you want to be known as a people who are peaceful and joyful, gentle and self-control and have patience and faithfulness and fidelity? Well, that is the whole Christian message. Because before Christ comes into our life, we have more of the other than we do the good. And what Paul is doing here, there's a problem in this church. The problem is that this church was founded on the preaching of Jesus. They were pagans. Southern Turkey, in the area called Galatia. Four churches were birthed by the Apostle Paul. And they heard this message of Jesus. This message that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah who came for the world, who died and suffered for their sins and rose again from the dead and was going to come back and give eternal life. They believed it. They embraced it. They received the Holy Spirit. They had such joy in their heart. They had such happiness. There was this patience with one another. There was this joy, this self-control. There was this uh, lack of anger and this, this true gentleness and patience and humility with each other. And, and the church was healthy. We would call that a spiritually healthy church. Something other than dynamic here is that all these people came from different backgrounds. There were some Jewish people there. There were some pagans there. There were rich people there. There were poor people there. There were men. There were women. There were circumcision, uncircumcision. There were people from a, a diverse socio-economic religious background. They were all represented in this church. And usually when you get a people from such a diversity of background and put them all into a room, for a day you might have a little bit of joy. But if you did it week in and week out, week in and week out, year in and year out, sooner or later people are going to start getting on each other's nerves. Even best family members do that. But this church was unique. They really loved one another. 
They were serving one another. Something new, something dynamic had happened. Jesus came into their life. But then when Paul left, someone came in, snuck in, and started teaching something else. And as we've gone through Galatians, there were men that were called Judaizers. They were, say, half Christians. They would come and they say, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but you still need to follow the law of Moses. You still need to have circumcision. You need to follow the Sabbath. You need to wash your hands ceremonially. You need to have a morning sacrifice, an evening sacrifice. You need to follow the new moons and so on and so forth. It was religion. It was mechanical. It was what we would call externalism. And Paul would have nothing to do with this. And Paul put his foot down. He defended the gospel. He says, no, a man is not accepted on what he does by God anymore. There was a time that God accepted a man only through Judaism. But now that Messiah has come, the blessing has come to the world, now God accepts any man, any woman, solely on the basis of their repentance and their faith in Jesus. That is it. And with that comes the reception of the Holy Spirit, which brings the joy, which brings the happiness, which brings peace and patience and so on and so forth. But what began to happen in this church is they were forgetting about Jesus, and they were listening to more about the law of Moses, and guess what happened? It says it here in verse 15, they started biting and devouring one another. The love they eventually had, what they initially had, started to dissipate. And they started to get on each other's nerves. Has anybody ever gotten on each other's nerves? Well, I'm trying to almost bring this sermon to an elementary level for all of us to understand. But that's what is happening over here. They lost their sense of love. They lost their sense of serving one another. They lost their sense of caring for one another. Why? Because they were trying to please God through rules and regulations. And when you try to please God through rules and regulations, Jesus is out. The Holy Spirit's out. Hope is out. A sense of joy is out. A sense of acceptance by God is out. And all of a sudden you get a superiority complex or an inferiority complex. And you've got people of various socio-economic religious backgrounds trying to get together and live in harmony with one another but it's just not going to work Paul says that's being led by the flesh and not by the spirit, that's the problem that's going on in this church, this is a, a Christian church that took on false teaching and the false teaching started to mislead the people and the people started to bite and devour another and if anybody who's been ever been on a bowling team or anybody who's been on the, the, the knitting team or anybody who's been on any kind of team for any length of time people sooner or later get on each other's nerves because why? We're human beings. We bring all our idiosyncrasies to the plate. None of us are perfect. And we start to analyze people by their imperfections. It's easy to do. Brothers and sisters do it. Parents do it. We all do it. It's so easy to do. Uh, it's almost impossible to look at the good side because all we can see is the bad things. And we get on each other's nerves. Siblings understand this. Parents understand. Husbands and wives are the worst offenders of them all. <laughs> Trust me. And when it comes to application, Husbands and wives, I'm going to dig into all of us, all right? And I'm sure I'll get a couple of amens from my own wife. But here is the gist. 
If we want to have that peace and harmony and joy and self-control and gentleness and kindness, humility and patience that really all human beings desire. I mean, who wants to live in a tension-filled environment? We, we all do, whether it's work, whether it's this world, we turn on the news, we look what's going on, it's, it stirs up anxiety, it stirs up tension. I mean, listen, I don't know about you, but the closer I am to God, the, the more peace I have. Uh, hopefully you, you guys have the same thing. But what happened over here is that Jesus was out, rules and regulations were in, and when rules and regulations come in, it doesn't give peace, it doesn't give joy, it doesn't give a sense of harmony with one another. What happens is we start evaluating each other's behavior and realize, well, I'm doing better than you are. And you know, you're okay, but you're not doing good this week. And I saw what you did last week, and, and that's what religion does. It becomes a self-evaluating, and we'll get into this over the next couple of weeks, a self-evaluating religion. And it's, I'm doing it and you are not. And what happens, that builds up pride. And that's what Paul is coming against here. He's coming against pride. And he's saying that the only way to overcome religion and pride is to be led genuinely by the Holy Spirit. But what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? I mean, I'm a Christian 22 years. I, I studied the Bible for 22 years. There's, there's 66 books and I know them like the back of my hand. And I want to know them more. Paul, who we're reading now, wrote 12 letters. I am familiar with every verse he wrote. Basically. But what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Is this some kind of supernatural thing where I wake up in the morning and I'm hearing a voice from heaven saying, Brian, be led by the Spirit. Here's, I'll give you a little hint. If you're a Christian, if you're a genuine Christian, you don't need a lecture on how to be led by the Spirit. All you need to hear is, be led by the Spirit. Intuitively, you know God speaking to your heart. Amen? Amen. You know God saying, be kind, be gentle, be joyful, be self-controlled, be good, be patient with other people. That's, that's all a Christian needs to hear. But to be led by the flesh, that's another thing. In the 15 vices we read, or 15 attitudes of the flesh, eight of them, eight of them have to do with division, disharmony with humanity, anger, fits of rage, divisions, and such like this, eight of them. The other ones are personal sins of the flesh. But what they do, whether it's, they're self-destructive by nature. The flesh, in the teachings of the Apostle Paul, you have to follow with me now. The flesh, in the teachings of the Apostle Paul, is the sin nature that's in every human being. But when Paul writes about it, he, he personifies it in a way where it takes on its own entity, where you can sit back and objectively understand it, what he's saying. And the flesh is self-seeking, it's self-destructive, it's it's God-defying, and it's divisive. Human nature left on itself ruins things. We don't make things better. We need God in our life. Am I alone in this? 
I know how self-destructive my own nature could be. I know how God-defying I could be. I know how divisive I can be. Uh, we, we all know what it means to gossip. We also know what it means to engage in gossip. We all know what it means to not want to gossip, but you just have to hear what that other person has to say about the other person. We all know what the water cooler can be like at work. It can be a nasty place. Nasty place. Well, what Paul is trying to get to is saying, we need to walk by the Spirit. And this is how we are to do it. It's not individually we do this. We do it corporately. He is speaking to a church. And he wants the church, this church that he's writing to 2,000 years ago, is probably not much different than what we are looking at right now. Might be about the same size, maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 people. Probably not more than 100 people, most likely, on any one given day when they would meet. They would not meet at Sunday in the afternoon. They would usually meet Saturday about 8 o'clock at night because they didn't have rules and regulations for work back then. You work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And then one night you would get off a little early and that's when the church would meet. And what would come together would be people from a diverse background. And here's the thing as we get into this, is that the beauty of Christianity, it could take people from the greatest, most diverse backgrounds. That's why he says it's not circumcision or uncircumcision. That's Paul's way of succinctly saying it's not about who you are as human beings. It's not if you're rich or poor, black or white, male or female, uh, uh, smart or uh, illiterate. It makes no difference when we all come together for the sole purpose that we all need to be forgiven. We all have the common denominator of Jesus Christ as our Savior. That means there is no uh, reason to backbite. There's no reason to be divisive. There's no reason to have fits of anger. There's no reason to have judgment. There's no reason to be envious. There's no reason to be coveting. There's no reason to be jealous. There's no reason to be critical. There's no reason to be judgmental. Why? Because neither one of us are inferior or superior to anybody else. So the Christian entity, the Christian church for 2,000 years has been totally unique. Unfortunately, we're still human. And we can mess up. And sometimes the worst offenders are churches. And sometimes the worst offenders are ministers. That's why Christian character, and we spoke about this at our business meeting on Thursday night, Christian character for anybody who steps into a pulpit and preaches about Christ has to be forthright and exemplary. My character, when I step here, has to be the same in the house. It has to be the same in the gym. It has to be the same in, in key food. It has to be the same wherever I am because you can't put on a show just to be a Christian minister. You have to live the Christian life. And to do that, you need to be led by the Spirit. And to be led by the Spirit is a simple equation. I'll give you my equation. My name is Brian Martin. I'm 53 years old soon. When I was 30, I found out that I was a sinner in the eyes of God. I also found out that God loved me greatly. And He desired, God desired to forgive me. 
through his son Jesus. And at 30 years old, I asked Jesus to come into my life and forgive me of all my sins and change me from the inside out. Guess what Jesus has been doing for 22 years? That is what it means to be led by the Spirit. It's constantly to filter every interpersonal relationship through the knowledge of what Jesus personally did for you. Are you with me? It has nothing to do with who can sing the loudest, or who can sing the prettiest, or who can quote the most scripture, who, who goes to church the most, who gives the most money, who do, it has nothing to do with it at all. I think Paul says it most clearly when he says, if I was to speak with the tongues of men and with the tongues of angels, and if I was to take all my money and give it to the poor, if I was to burn my body at the stake, if I knew all mysteries, if I knew all understanding, but if I have not loved, I'm a clanging gong and a resounding symbol. That's all I am. You want to be spiritual? Love. No matter what. And in the Bible, Christian love, biblical love, hurts. Nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with, well, well, if you love me first, then I'll love you back. You know what I mean? Everybody's waiting. Who's going to love first? You know what I mean? It's like that handshake. You know, it's like, are you, are you not? You know what I mean? And we all can identify with that because, you know, most of our relationships are based on what you've done for me last. Did Jesus wait for us to come to him or did he come to us? Does not the Bible say that while we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us and he died for us? Did not Jesus die long before we even asked Him to come into our life? Did not God show us kindness and goodness and patience and forbearance long before I said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you in my life? Can we not look over our life and reflect over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years and recognize that God has been good to us in so many other areas? Christian love is like God's love. It goes out of the way to love the unlovable. And as we get together, so to be led by the Spirit, understand something, I want to take the mystery out of this. This is not some kind of uh, Western mindset. We love psychoanalysis. We love it. Led by the Spirit, you know what I mean? Let me, let me, let me, let me get into this. Let me, let, me, let me take apart my psyche and get into this and get into all sorts of introspective and get so caught up in myself that I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> That's the American mindset. We like to analyze everything. We like to think we're problem solvers. And we, and we analyze every failure. And before you know it, we, well, we're lost. Paul is saying, be led by the Spirit. Constantly remind yourself of what Jesus did for you. When you have tension with your brother, or your sister in Christ. When a wife or a husband have tension with each other. When siblings have tensions with each other. Remember. Close your eyes for a moment. And think of what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to read you a verse of scripture. I, I did not give it to our tech person. 
But let me, let me read you a verse of scripture. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, listen to the beauty. It's actually chapter 4, verses uh, 31 and 32. Paul says this. He's talking to Christians. He's actually also has in mind here husbands and wives. He says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Listen, here's the example now. Here's walking in the Spirit. It's what Christ has done. As God in Christ forgave you. The imperative, that means the command, the, 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 he admonishes them to not be malicious and slanderous, is all based on the fact of Jesus doing something for us. Are you with me? It doesn't come out of thin air. God doesn't say, well, just be good and be kind. He's saying, be good, be kind, be gentle, be fair, be, because of what God has done for you in Christ. Are you with me? Yes. So the Christian community here, we're not people who are so super spiritual that we're hearing voices in the middle of the night thinking the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. But He might, and bless God. I'll tell you something, if He is, most likely He's saying, be, be, be more kind. Be more faithful, be more loving, be more forgiving, be more gentle, be more self-controlled, be more filled with love, be more filled with joy. I was telling my wife as I was writing the sermon out today that chances are I wasn't going to look up my notes at all, which I have not, because this is a sermon that should live in every pastor's heart. Paul is not preaching now as the Apostle Paul. Paul is speaking as a father of the faith. He's speaking as a pastor. And he's telling him, listen, whoever these people were that try to persuade you away from Jesus, whoever these people who got you to start doing the Old Testament law, whoever these people, he says, they're like leaven. Remember Jesus said that? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's a negative connotation in the New Testament. It means just a, a, a bad company does what? And that's what he's saying. He said, listen, you're doing, you're running well. Who deceived you? What happened? You guys were loving one another. You were caring for one another. Your whole life changed. Both the rich and the poor were loving one another. The Jew and the Gentile were loving one another. The man and the woman, they were loving one another. The free and the slave, they were coming together. Everybody had everything good. There were you were a real community of faith. What happened to you? Who snuck in and deceived you with this false teaching? That looks so good, but look what it's producing. Now you're biting one another. You're devouring one another. He says in verse 15. And, 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 and Paul, Paul, more than just, uh, just about any New Testament writer, uses figurative speech and metaphors more than anybody. And the reason for it is this. Biting and devouring one another is a picture of animals tearing their flesh apart. In Brooklyn, we don't see too much of that, except a couple of cats in the alleyway once in a while killing each other. On animals, we, we see this on the animal kingdom all the time. You know, you see the cheetah chasing the gazelle and tackles it to the ground, and you get it up close. And, but I actually saw a dog tearing a cat apart once. 
it was, I can still hear, it was unnerving to see the helplessness of the poor cat being torn apart limbs. The fur was all over, had the eyeballs, I don't want to get too graphic. <laughs> but here's the point. Are you ready? Paul is deliberately being graphic. Because when Christians start getting arrogant in their heart and prideful, that's what it looks like to God. When we sit here in judgment of each other, we sit here, the only reason we're here today is because what Jesus did on the cross. That's all. That is our common denominator. I have no right, you have no right to rip into each other. It's like biting and devouring each other. In the eyes of God, it's like two animals ripping the flesh off each other's bones. That's why he says in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read it again. Don't let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let it be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted to one another. Be forgiving to one another. And I remind you, Paul says, just as God forgave you in Christ. Now, this is the filter. Please understand something. I'm a Christian a long time. It takes work. It takes a lot of work. But we don't do it by way of uh, some kind of high human optimism. The work the Christian does is a humbling work. It's constantly reminding myself of what Christ has done for me. Constantly reminding myself. And sometimes I can see it a mile away and say, you know something? This conversation is going in the wrong direction. I'm not getting involved. Other times I'm in the middle of it and say, well, God, forgive me. I don't, I don't want to say another word. And other times I go home and say, oh, God, I blew it. I blew it. I was biting and devouring people and I was caught up in this and I was caught up in that conversation. God, be merciful to me. Has anybody ever done that? Aren't we glad God's merciful? But it's also nice to know as Christians that we can be led by something now. That, that lower nature, that, that division nature, that slanderous, malicious, backbiting, gossip, criticizing, judgment, that that's not, doesn't have to have the last word on our life no more. That now I can say, you know something, with Jesus and the Spirit of God, I don't have to be led by the lower nature anymore. I can truly be led by the Holy Spirit. I ask you today, in all honesty, in your own hearts, we have two options. To be led by the flesh, which is self-destructive, which is, uh, brings division, it causes disharmony, it's God-defying, or we can live in the spirit, which is edifying, which is kind, is gentle, joyful, is self-controlled and patient. It's loving to all people. It's forgiving to all people. Whether we think that people deserve it or not makes no difference. 
I ask you, where do you want to live today? I know as a Christian, we should all be saying, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want to constantly be reminded, as Paul says, not be malicious, not be slanderous, not be filled with wrath, but be kind, be tender-hearted, all because of what God did for me. Are we a people that filter every moment of our life with the knowledge that God died for you? Because that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. There's no supernaturality here. This is not an impulse. It's not getting up and, and fasting for a week, but if you like to fast, you go knock yourself out. There's nothing wrong with it if you're doing it for the Lord. Yes, read your Bibles. I encourage you to read your Bibles. We're Christians, we should read the Bible. But being led by the Spirit is always being reminded of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. For the Christian, listen to me, every day is Good Friday. For the Christian, every day is resurrection. Every day. It's not once a year. We don't celebrate it once a year. There are sometimes I'm going into certain social dynamics, usually Thanksgiving, where I got to be so prayed up and led by the Spirit. <laughs> because family tensions can really be challenging. We all know that. I'm going to move over. I, I, I'm going to actually move over into application again. Uh, even though I, I, I spoke a little bit about that. Like I said, I didn't follow my notes at all. Paul's point in the whole thing is this. I'll sum it up. Those people who sit week in and week out listening to any kind of religious teaching without the cross of Christ being central to their gathering as the common denominator for their fellowship will eventually end up inflaming the lower nature which in turn leads to biting and devouring one another. In contrast, those who are saved, sinners that have come to Christ, who sit under the humbling preaching of Christ crucified, learning from him whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light and who is humble in spirit and are daily reminded that without Jesus we can do nothing. That's who we are as Christians. This is the heart of being led by the Spirit whose only mission and purpose alright, I want you to understand something. Paul said give no opportunity to the flesh. When Paul says, give no opportunity to the flesh, the Greek word opportunity or gratify the desires of the flesh, it means this. It means to accomplish a determined end. So I only say that when the Holy Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, the Spirit has an accomplished determined end to shape and form us into the humility and virtue of Jesus Christ, the true man. Are you with me? Being led by the Spirit is not about saying, man, did you see Brian walking on water the other day? And I heard he fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. And I heard he healed a leper. 
No, it would be nice. But remember, Jesus fed 15,000 people and most of them still did not believe in him. All right? To be led by the Spirit is to be constantly be aware of what Jesus did for you personally for your sins. There's nothing more humbling than that knowledge at all. Okay? So our lives should be filtered out every day as what Jesus has done for me. In that way, I'm led by the Spirit. I don't fulfill the pride of my flesh. I become humble like Christ. I become more like Christ. I become more loving, more giving. More. Okay, so let's move into application because I know what everybody's going to ask. Then why is everybody failing? Come on. I mean, I, I, did I spell it out as, as clearly as I could? But let's all be honest. How many people are constantly walking in humility? How many of us are constantly walking in gentleness and kindness and goodness? Let's be honest. We're pretty miserable failures, aren't we? But we don't have to be. Without a doubt, I know 22 years ago, I could not be standing. I did not qualify to stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel. But by God's grace, he has changed me and transformed me into being a more gentle, kind man. Though this gentle, kind man knows he needs a lot more work. The scriptures are filled with examples of Christians biting and devouring one another. Read the, gospel, read the, the epistle of James, read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, read Philippians chapter 4. You will find Christians who love God that were characterized by people with division and jealousy and backbiting. And it's unfortunate it is there. Let me say this. Pastors can do it. Sunday school teachers can do it. Leaders can do it. Parents can do it. Anybody can do it. But this is no reason, and I want you to listen to this, even though as Christians we can fail it's no reason to abandon the only God-given means to the end. And the only God-given means to the end is not to change the way we preach. It is constantly to nourish our souls on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that can change. Prayerfully today, you might have came in here with tension today towards another human being, maybe sitting in the same room, maybe a loved one. But maybe today, because you are nourished on the beauty of Christ, you can go home a little more armed to be led by the Spirit. Are you with me? Yes. That's very important. Even though we fail, the antidote is always the same. We don't change the preaching of the cross. I don't try to come up here and say, I got 10 point sermon to make you a better husband. I don't. But I do know a Savior that's willing to change your heart from the inside out. It's the preaching of the cross that does it. Number two, as humans we can make our relationship with God into a religion. And we can end up being led by the flesh. And this is what I mean. If I turn church into a drag, i got to go to church again. It's Sunday. I worked all week and i got to go to church. i got to read that passage. What was that passage again? 
uh, I got to pray or I, you know, I have to do something. As soon as your relationship with Jesus, I want you to listen to me. As soon as it turns into I have to, you're going to be led by the flesh. Because you've got no power over the flesh at this point. You're not being led by the Spirit. You will have no preemptive power. When anger comes, you're going to get angry and become reactionary. When jealousy comes and lust comes and covetousness comes or judgmental criticism, whenever it comes, because to me, Jesus and church is a big drag, you are powerless over the flesh. Do I hear an amen? amen. We become weak and our lives become defined by the flesh. All right, two more things and we'll close. Friendships and marriages. They become a law unto themselves. Understand something. The only elements that define a healthy relationship are this. I'm speaking to domestic. I'm speaking to husbands and wives. I'm speaking to siblings. I'm speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. Trust. Respect. Fidelity. Love. Concern. Compassion. And patience. When external things like how you look or what you wear or how much uh, a wife has put on after you know having three children, all of a sudden they put on 30 pounds or 40 pounds, and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, that, that's an external thing. Uh, you're led by the flesh, the spirit is gone. And there'll be a tension within relationships because we are approaching it in an external way and not through the issues of the heart. Are you with me? And we're led by the flesh. When money becomes an object in the house where it's more important to have more money in the house than to have more love and more respect and more kindness. When, when the money gets tight, as Billy Joel says, and the money got tight and they began to fight, then all of a sudden you realize where the relationship really is. As Christians, we have to be above the externalities. We have to be above these things that the whole world clamors after. Fashion, looks, uh, Anything like that. If, if you have it, wonderful. But we cannot allow those things to possess us. This is classic legalism. To like a person for what they have. To like a person for the way they look. For like a person because they act a certain way. Or they do a certain thing. This is classic legalism and it begins to bite and devour one another. Husbands and wives are the classic examples of this. Husbands and wives have to be on their guard at all times to allow anything external from coming in and defining the relationship. The husband and wife's relationship has to be based on a mutual love and respect for one another and they draw that strength from this. They both need Christ. And neither one is better than the other. Are you with me? No wife is better than a husband. No husband's better than the wife. Both are sinners in need of a savior. And when husbands, when Christian husbands and wives know this, then the legalism is out, and grace living is in, 
and things begin to change in their lives. And these are my closing remarks. Only a Christian whose mind is being renewed by an ever-deepening understanding of the humble death of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on our behalf could ever be a person that exemplifies being led by the Spirit. Let's constantly remind ourselves what Jesus did for us on the cross. And in this way, we will have the power of the Holy Spirit in every interpersonal relationship we live in. You'll have the power to forgive those who don't deserve to be forgiven. And trust me, we all have people in our life that don't deserve to be forgiven. We'll have the power. We'll have the power to be humble. We'll have the power to be loving. We'll have the power to quiet the noise of judgmenting people, judging people, to quiet the noise of criticizing people, to quiet the noise of, of, of tearing and biting and devouring people in our hearts. Has anybody ever been guilty of it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, that has paid for our sins, that has given us a new way of life, that has given us a new way of relationship, Father God, that we can truly be led by your Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And now we have the power to look at every interpersonal relationship with loving eyes and caring concern and compassion and tender heartedness. Why? Because we're always reminded and indebted to Jesus Christ who died and rose again on our behalf. Father God, let us be led by the cross in your spirit at all times in all ways in Jesus' name.